So Mark 14 and beginning of verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble you here? For she hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Well, as I say last time, we went through the whole of Mark's 13th chapter and I knew I knew it would be difficult to explain that chapter. It took a fair bit of research and just uh, sometimes just thought, just sitting and, and thinking. But I, I hope it was clear enough to give you something to think about anyway. So today's message is, is shorter, uh, less heavy, but hopefully with blessing in it. So the situation that we've read about today is in Bethany. It was a small village to the east of the Mount of Olives. Um, it was about two miles from Jerusalem. So since arriving in this area, uh, Jesus and the disciples had made Bethany their base camp, if you like. So th the portion we read today, it started with the Jewish plot to kill Jesus. And... It went on to describe what happened in the house of Bethany and finished with the decision by Judas to betray his master. It's possible you've you've noticed this sort of sandwich arrangement used by Mark and he does this deliberately to highlight a contrast. And so here, the contrast is between the dedicated evil of the conspirators versus the selfless act of love by this woman. These religious leaders, what was their problem? They tried to outsmart Jesus, if you remember. They went head to head with him in a battle of wisdom. And they lost several times. And Jesus' uh, assault on them and their corrupt temple worship was just incessant. 
and they now felt they were losing control of the situation. So this is why they went back to their original plan, which was to kill Jesus. What about Judas? What was the matter with him? He'd enjoyed a privileged experience, uh, unparalleled in history. He was a disciple and a friend of the incarnate Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He'd witnessed more miracles than anyone who'd ever lived. He was blessed by being taught by the Son of God himself. What could cause a man to treat that privilege with such disdain? Money. You're not surprised, are you? Judas loved money, and sadly he loved money more than anything else. Among that little band of missionaries, he was the one in charge of the cash. It makes me wonder how he ended up with that job. My, my guess is that he volunteered so that he could cream off some of the income. And this would explain why it was this event today that tipped him over the edge. Had this woman donated uh, expensive ointment to be sold to, to, to feed the poor, Judas will have been in charge of that, that transaction and he'd have a chance to cream off a few thousand pounds without anyone noticing. So our focus today, though, is it's not on Judas or the religious leaders. That's for another time. We're going to be looking at two people. There's the one who committed a great act of love, and there's the one it was directed to. So the first angle we're going to look at this from is um, is about giving sacrificially. Now, as you know, I like to give modern equivalents when it's useful. We've just read about something being worth 300 pence, and so the, the British people among us will be saying, 300 pence, that's like three pounds. That's not really, that's not really expensive perfume. Expensive perfume's like 50 pound or something. So 300 pence. Well, we can work this out. We can look at the average wage, the average daily wage of a, you know, say a, a labourer at that time. And we can estimate what that means in real money. So, effectively, they used to get, um, you know, around, say, a penny a day, a denari, denarius uh, a day. Now, if you haven't worked this out before, you haven't heard it worked out for you, this may come as a shock to you. Because this stone vessel was filled with this perfume. And in today's money, it would have been worth... Maybe fifteen to twenty thousand pounds. So you can you can go to all the fanciest shops like in 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 London, like Harrods, and you you, you won't find anything that costly. I'm sure, fifteen to twenty thousand pounds. And you know what? She tipped a lot of it on Jesus. <laughs> I keep thinking that. This is lovely, but 48 hours from now, that's going to wear off. And that'll be the end of it. 15 to 20,000. Now, without the benefit of having the scriptures, without the benefit of that hindsight that we have, I don't think there's one of us who wouldn't have acted the same way as the disciples. It looked it looked totally irresponsible. Let's 
think about the widow. Go back a couple of weeks. We we looked at this widow in a temple. She had a pound left, you know. That's all she owned. And she threw it in the offering box in the church, in the temple. She donated her last pound to the work of God. So you can see in both cases, the behaviour of the women was outwardly irresponsible. Yet in neither case did Jesus speak of them negatively. <coughs> Excuse me. And you'll also notice the, the extremes in the gifts. One gave her last pound, the other gave effectively her life savings. And I'm sure that that contrast was meant to be spotted by us. And it teaches us that when someone gives to God in faith, no gift is too small to be valued by God. And no gift is so large that it would be seen by God as wasteful. This is monetary gifts and gifts of yourself. So, if you're not well off, then give generously. If you're wealthy, give generously, is, 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 the, is the lesson. Well, Paul, when writing to the church at Corinth, he spoke about the generosity shown by the church in Macedonia because they had next to nothing but what they had they were willing to share for the work of the gospel and Paul uses them as an example that is worth following he says therefore as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in, in your love to us see the abound in this grace also generosity See that you're bound in generosity. The woman was prepared to give sacrificially. And so should we. As we saw the other week, we're to give of our income, our time, our strength, our abilities, to give our whole hearts to God and the cause of the gospel. Think on the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Think about how he gave his very life not for people who loved him, for people who didn't love him, people who hated him. He placed himself at the mercy of the authorities, knowing he would receive none. <coughs> Note how he refused to, to, to get help from the angels to, to save his life and, and, and kill everyone. Think how he endured the inward intensity of his father's hatred for sin and he did all this for sinners like you and me people who came into this world with a natural hatred for God were it not for the grace of God we'd, we'd, we'd find the tomb of Jesus and we'd spit on it if we could but through this sacrifice of Jesus God saves people not all but some had he intended to save all, all would be saved. He will, uh, he will save exactly the number that he originally intended to. I imagine most people watching this today have tuned in because they already belong to God. But if you don't, if you've, if you've um, happened upon this video, then we would pray to you to, to go to him today. Go to God in prayer and plead with him. Because... The, the word of God says now is the accepted time 
now today is the day of salvation let's look at this next next day aspect how this woman honored jesus i thought it was an interesting environment for such a such a, a powerfully symbolic act to take place it's not in jerusalem it's in this small village the owner of a house is a leper <coughs> or a former leper as we read in verse 3 and at the very center of this incident was a woman women as you know had a certain place in that society and they were expected to recognize that uh, women women today are expected to understand they have a place in Christian society and in marriage and it's different from the culture back then it is different but still there's an obligation on women to find out what their uh, their part is in this life and acknowledge it and not rebel against it well scattered throughout scattered throughout the Gospels we see all kinds of people who had no right really approaching Jesus I mean, according to the manners of that society, their behaviour was seen as inappropriate. Think about Jesus being harassed by that blind beggar. People were telling them to shut up. Think of the woman wanting to be healed, and she forced her way through the crowd just so she could touch Jesus's clothes. Think of the parents who, who brought their little children uh, to Jesus for a blessing, and, and people were saying, stop bothering Jesus, go away. I'm thinking of this woman here having the audacity to approach Jesus during a meal. This wasn't a done thing. But you see, their need, those individuals' needs were more important than observing good manners even. And this woman was determined. She grabs a fancy perfume and she rushes over to Jesus to anoint him. We read elsewhere that this woman had saved this perfume for precisely this moment it wasn't done on the spare of the moment it was it was all planned the time had come this was likely the highlight of her whole life the anointing of her saviour and you'll also see in verse 3 how Mark reports she didn't pour the ointment out in the usual way We'd expect her maybe to take off the cap, you know, remove the cork, whatever it was. But for seemingly no good reason, she smashes the thing. It's a bit over the top, isn't it? So, this alab... Remember it says alabaster? The alabaster container was pretty common, but it was very attractive. And it's stored perfume and other things. It's it's really stone, you know. It's I've, I've watched these uh, uh, native Egyptians um, taking lumps of rock, bringing it back, and chipping away and grinding a hole in it to make these containers. It's a soft stone, you see, so it can be it can be um, uh, shaped easily. Um, it doesn't weather so well, obviously so it's not used in building and it can also be polished for quite an attractive finish as well so we, we might think she smashed this out of a sense of urgency you know she was excited the time had come 
to perform this small but significant ritual. Maybe that was it. But I suspect there could be another reason. In breaking this flask, it became unusable. And perhaps this was the point. For her, this perfume was being saved for this moment. The flask will have served its purpose. She intended to use the lot on Jesus, so she didn't need to keep an intact flask, you know, to keep a bit back for herself. The breaking of the flask signifies the totality of the gift and the completeness of the sacrifice. You might be tempted to see, look for some other significance in this anointing. You'll know that prophets, priests and kings were often anointed when taking office. And such was the faith of this woman. She undoubtedly held Jesus to be the greatest prophet, the greatest high priest and the greatest king. But I tend to think her motive was only to declare her faith in Jesus as the Messiah who had to die. Jesus knew she'd been keeping this to anoint him prematurely for his burial. You may already be aware of this, that um, dead people were anointed in that culture. The, the, the powerful perfumes, spices, would go some way to offset the bad odour that would quickly come through the decomposition of the body. But this was something else the disciples had missed so far. They didn't seem to have cottoned on that this was happening. Jesus was going to deliberately hand himself over to be put to death. Jesus had told them. Now, for example, when, when Peter had that epiphany and he confessed Jesus as the Messiah, you are the Christ, he suddenly realised. What did Jesus do straight after that? He followed it on with an announcement of his coming death was there not something else significant in this extravagant act it's it's definitely speaks of a, a wholesale sacrifice to the lord but when we consider the anointing of a dead body to preserve it if only temporarily the overabundance of jesus's anointing here makes us look forward to that time in the grave when he didn't see any corruption, any deterioration, any um, decomposition. Listen to what it says in Acts 13. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one, Jesus, to see corruption. For David, after he'd served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Corruption meaning the corruption of the body, the decomposition. So the super excess of the perfume signified the perfect preservation of Jesus in the grave because he wasn't there to stay. The same one who handed himself over to sinners to to lay down his life for sinners had determined he was going to raise himself from the dead after three days just another thing signified by this anointing
I want to look at one more aspect of what this woman did and it was to do with her witness her witness then and even all the way down the centuries to us today if you if you look through some of the other accounts of the other gospels where it mentions this story a few 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 um, reported slightly differently but but you'll see there that the woman also anoints Jesus's feet and she uses his her own hair to wash the feet i can't think of a humbler act than this <coughs> this whole ritual of hers was an an unspoken testimony she was declaring the lord's death but more than that she was testifying about his burial and it's because Jesus was buried, we know his was a proper death. So her certainty about him going into a grave was important. I think it's interesting to take note. These people Jesus encountered who exercised great faith. They were noted for their faith. More often than not, the people who show great faith are not who we'd expect. This is especially so in Mark's Gospel. And so today it reminds us of another pattern in the life of Jesus, that is the prominence of women. It's quite striking to see how we've been, you know, discussing um, females who've epitomised dedication to God, while most opposition, including the schemes to kill him, have come from men. Now, leadership may be a male arena and there are important theological reasons for maintaining that but the Holy Spirit has made sure that we see in Holy Writ that women are valued as much as men in the kingdom of God I'd like you to look at some of the things this woman said now I don't want you to look for too long have a look at what she said but don't spend too long because she didn't say anything (laughs) As far as we can see from the scriptures, the woman kept silent throughout the whole episode. There was a humility there. It was a humble testimony. Now, she was unavoidably the centre of attention, being near to Jesus, but she didn't want recognition. And we should take a leaf out of her book. We too should, should not desire recognition for what we do in the Lord's work. Some of the Lord's people have said to me, they do a lot for God. Or in the past, they've done a lot for God. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I I just assume they've just forgotten themselves at that moment. It happens. But you just can't help wondering if the works they did or are doing were truly done for God alone. We're not to seek recognition. For one, if we... All the praise and recognition and glorification for our hard work, our incredible sacrifices, all that glory that we get means we rob God of the glory due to him. Got to remember, all our good works are ordained by God. He keeps us alive while we do them. He gives us the abilities to do them and he even gives us the very desire and the will to do them 
At no stage is there anything. Anything for which you should be congratulated, friends. <laughs> and by the way, this is the reason I strongly discourage people from congratulating new Christians when they get baptised. If you've witnessed that, you will you will you will understand that the the, the motive may be good. They they they're pleased for the person. But buying them greetings cards with congratulations, you know, this is great. It just it just makes that person feel, you know, like they've done something, you know, really uh, to, to to merit favor with God. I mean, being baptized is an act of obedience, but still, what 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 have they actually done? They've been baptized in recognition of their salvation from sin. Perhaps we should get greetings cards with congratulations on realizing that you were a scumbag in God's sight. Perhaps we should do that, and maybe that would get rid of some of the the um, the the snares that we cast for these people when we congratulate them. Well, this woman, whether she liked it or not, her act of uh, love has found its way into the scriptures of God. And before, before there was even a New Testament, there was the promise of Jesus that this wholehearted consecration to God would find its way into the pages of history. Like the widow in the temple, she wouldn't have wanted this, but her example has been immortalised. And it was in order that we, today, might be amazed and challenged. I said that we we shouldn't think that our reactions would have been different than the disciples. I mean, they were horrified at the sheer waste in this woman's actions. They'd rightly been conditioned to have a responsible attitude towards the resources the law provides. If I were given a million pounds today, I hope I'd use it responsibly. I won't lie, I'd use I'd use a lot of it on, on my family. We'd maybe buy our own home, for example, and maybe sort our homes for, for the children. But I'd definitely build us a new church. And it would be a blessing to the folks at New Road uh, just as much as me. But let's say I told them I was going to spend half a million pounds on, on, on the New Road congregation. And they, they've got this dilapidated present building. And, and so they'd assume we're going to get a brand new, uh, a brand new church building. Uh, a newer, safer one. But if I took that half million pounds and instead uh, spent it on a giant bronze statue of the Bible to sit in the street and spend half a million pound on that the, the people would be devastated why spend all that money in such a wasteful way in our passage here it was at Passover time you read there and it was customary to give money to the poor the disciples were right at least on this that 20 grand could have been spent feeding the poor here's the difference between those two examples how she spent her money wasn't irresponsible. If you think about it, the value of a gift that we give someone is some indication of the worth of that person. 
we'll spend more on our on our own children than we will on strangers because we value them more isn't that right and in this act of extravagance this woman shows she is the only one who truly understands the incomparable worth of Jesus Christ what the disciples were saying was don't spend too much on Jesus don't go over the top in many things moderation is good the Bible even says so but it's to be avoided in our devotion to God we don't honour God in moderation we don't serve him with restraint Um, some of you will know our our, our late brother uh, Don Fortner and remember he told a story from his youth so like many believers before his conversion he got up to no good and living next door to him was quite a respectable chap he was some kind of government agent I don't know maybe FBI or something and throughout his youth our brother our brother Don was never he was never once challenged by this man for his antisocial behavior that all changed when Don was saved word got around the neighbor heard it and approached the young convert getting religion is okay he said as long as you do it in moderation don't go overboard don't get carried away he was more concerned about excess in devotion to God from this man than than the excess of uh, vandalism or fighting or whatever it was he used to do the Bible uses another word you know for moderation it's found in the book of Revelation and the word is lukewarm it's a position you take when you you're neither unsaved nor completely devoted to God these people will maybe they're not maybe they're not saved but but these people will attend church services but they won't take part in evangelism they'll happily tell others they 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 attend church as if it's some kind of indication of respectability but they won't tell those people they are in danger and need Jesus they want a, a private Christianity, a respectable Christianity, which doesn't cause other people to think they're mad. What does Jesus say to such professing Christians? You disgust me. I'll spit you out, it says in Revelation. So, friends, I heartily encourage you to become an extremist. In your commitment to God, become a true zealot. In your evangelism, let your sincerity and enthusiasm shine through not concerned that many people will think you've lost your mind Jesus Christ didn't need to be covered in spikenard ointment just like he didn't need those fancy gifts he got from the Magi when he was a young child but the costliness of these gifts goes in some way to helping us appreciate the worthiness of that man Jesus of Nazareth you know what he did want from that woman 
her heart and that's exactly what she gave him brothers and sisters he wants your whole heart will you not give it John 5 says that all men should honour the Son even as they honour the Father he that honoureth not the Son honoureth not the Father which hath sent him by our faith in Jesus by our obedience to the commandments of Jesus Christ and by our witness to others of his so great salvation we honour him and in honouring Jesus we honour our Trinitarian God also peace be to you brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus in sincerity Amen thank you folks I hope the woman with the alabaster box has been a great encouragement and a challenge to you today and again if you are not one of God's yet we pray you this will be the day when you you go to him and receive what we've received which is uh, infinitely better than what you've got now I can promise you well I shall see you all uh, next time God bless you all